With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's minor league podcast. I am Steve Saipa. Steve Saipa. <laughs> and I'm Did you say joined... Sipa, oh. right? Yes, yes. And I'm joined by Lucas Balajos and Kenny Levine. Uh, how are you guys doing? Uh, all right. Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Well... We are back in the normal swing of things now that the draft is done, and I am back home, and uh, we'll, we'll get back into uh, promote extend trade. And this week's topic, because I had so much of it last week, is barbecue. So, uh, I hope you're not a vegetarian. No, go. Funny. No, no. Now, I, I haven't had good barbecue in a very long time, so. Uh, well, um, South Carolina has, like, a particular style of barbecue that I've never even mm-hmm. – I've never had before. I didn't know existed. So when I went into the first place and I saw the stuff that they had, I was like, oh, my God. So this week we will promote and extend and trade different styles of Barbecue, uh, sauce, and rubs, and such. Oh, I love this. <laughs> Sounds great. I think that we'll do two of each, because I kind of narrowed it down, I guess, to six different ones. So, two will get promoted, two will get extended, and two will get traded. Okay. First one is Kansas City Barbecue, which is kind of thick, sweet, tangy sauce made mm. from molasses and tomato paste. You know, it's the kind of... Traditional, quote-unquote, barbecue sauce. I do love some tang. There is Memphis barbecue, which is dry rub, and it's um, smoky and spicy flavors like cayenne pepper, paprika, garlic powder. Um, Next, there's Texas barbecue, which is mainly kind of like juicy basting sauce. Um, It's made from, like, beef juice and stock vinegar. Worcestershire sauce, spices. Well, whatever. (laughs) Worcestershire sauce, and then spices, salt, pepper, cayenne, garlic. Very tasty. Next is Alabama barbecues. And because Alabama is ass backwards, (laughs) they use a sauce made out of vinegar and mayonnaise. It's white. It's the strangest thing ever. It I'm gonna, really is. I'm going to go ahead and trade them right off the bat. <laughs> I've actually never had it, so I can't, but... Neither have I, but I'm not a huge fan of the state of Alabama in general. Hey, hey man, uh, Roll Tide. Yeah, uh, and mayonnaise is just gross. 
That's patently false. Patently false. Big right, come on, guys. Come on, guys. <laughs> uh, next up is South Carolina barbecue, which is a mustard sauce, and it's very, very tasty. Yeah, it's great. And then there's North Carolina barbecue, which is kind of hot sauce based uh, with a lot of spices added in. So this is a hard one because they're all, except for Alabama, they're all just so good. Um, I'm, I'm jotting down notes right now. Oh, I gotta get rid of you. Get rid of you. All right. I, I, I think I'm, I think I got it. Mm-hmm. Um, get trading Alabama, obviously. Uh, trading Texas, though I don't like dislike Texas. It's just kind of whatever to me compared to these other. Options. Mm-hmm. Uh, extend is the best option here. You think I'd remember that at this point? Um, I'm gonna extend South Carolina sauce because I love it because mustard is like the greatest flavor on earth. Uh, also going to extend Memphis because I love a good dry rub, and then uh, promoting KC and uh, NC North Carolina. That's exactly what I was doing. So nice. Uh, yeah. That, that sounds good. Um, I'd probably go KC and maybe Texas. There's a place by um, where my girlfriend used to live in Illinois that had, like, very good Texas barbecue sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd probably pr- uh, extend those to promote Memphis and South Carolina. Then, I don't know, trade the other two. I can't even, I don't even remember. <laughs> Alabama and North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, I'm not crazy about either of those places, so. Uh, now I want barbecue, and getting good barbecue in the city is not, not super easy. At least not by me. Yeah. It's odd that there really isn't, I, I remember reading something a couple of, well, probably more than a couple of weeks ago at this point, maybe a couple of months or maybe even a year or so ago. About how there's a growing Brooklyn barbecue scene or something like that, but I mean, what scene isn't growing in Brooklyn right now? <laughs> and it just—I don't know—any any kind of growing, quote unquote, growing barbecue scene in Brooklyn just seems too hipsterish. Like, yeah, it's just a bunch of dudes like copying barbecue that they, you know, saw on the Travel Channel one day. Like, <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's pretty much how all Brooklyn food goes. Like, There's a lot of good food. I, oh, I no, know. there is. There is. Um, like two or three, like, really good fried chicken places that I've frequented. Um, one of which Pete Alonzo is currently obsessed with, called uh, Pies and Thighs. In oh, Williamsburg. I love Pies and Thighs. Pies yeah. and Thighs is amazing, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we should send them an email and see if we Yeah, yeah, if we could get a pie. <laughs> Sponsorship. Uh, they want oh. to send us some food. Where do we? Let's make that happen. Yeah, let's get right on that. We'll have to look into that. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on now to less interesting stuff like the Mets minor league system. Uh, Syracuse. They went in even three and three this week, and they are eight and a half games behind Scranton, and are in third place for the international. Uh, League North Division. The Binghamton Rumble Ponies went two and two to start their second half, 
and they are in a three-way tie with the Redden Fighting Phils and the Trenton Thunder for first place in the Eastern League Eastern Division. Lucy Mets had a very successful uh, start to their second half. They are 6-1, and one, and they are in sole possession of first place in the FSL South, and that is one and a half games ahead of the Clearwater Threshers. The Columbia Fireflies are starting their second half much like their entire first half, and they are one and two, and it's basically three games into the second half, so it's a giant dog pile for second place um, in, this, in the South Atlantic League Southern Division. The Brooklyn Cyclones went two and four, and they're an even four and four, which is good for second place in the New York Penn League McNamara Division, and they are a half game behind the Aberdeen Ironbirds. And last but not least are the Kingsport Mets, and they started their season off 4-1 and one and are a game and a half ahead of the Johnson City Cardinals, first place in the Appy West. So our hitter of the week this week is someone that is near and dear to Ken's heart, and that is Dilson Herrera. He played in six games this week, and he hit 455, 520, 1,000, with 10 hits, three doubles, three home runs, two walks, nine strikeouts, and one court stealing. So That'll just play. Yes, yes, it will. So <laughs> that, that 700 bat bit will do wonders. <laughs> um, for anybody that became a Mets fan, I guess, recently. Why you would do that, I don't know, but... Yeah, uh, what are you, first of all, what led you to make this great mistake with your life? <laughs> yeah, bad choice. I mean, if you thought 2015 would be the norm, no. Mm-mm. It would definitely not be. Yeah, we get one of those a decade. Yeah, pretty much. But for anyone who's not familiar with Dilson, uh, he first joined the Mets in August 2013 when he was traded by the Pittsburgh Pirates along with um, a player to be named later who t- turned out to be relief pitcher Vic Black in exchange for Marlon Bird and John Buck. And the Mets had a pretty good system at the time. And Dilson was ranked as high as fourth by us uh, in 2015. He was behind only Noah Syndergaard, Stephen Matz, and Brandon Nimmo. And his stock cooled a bit, but he retained a lot of that value. And on August 1st, 2016, the Mets traded Dilson along with 2015 uh, third-round draft pick Max Wattel to the Reds in exchange for Jay Bruce. And Dilson's time with the Reds wasn't bad, but it wasn't exactly good either. Uh, he had some shoulder surgeries and... He was given a few major league opportunities, but he didn't exactly run with them. And they eventually released him last offseason. And the Mets signed him to a minor league contract at the beginning of uh, this season. As crazy as it sounds, he's still only 25. And as we've seen this year, he still has a little bit more in the tank. Maybe it's because, you know, AAA, in the in AAA, the ball is as, quote-unquote, juiced as it is in the major leagues. Maybe it's because he's fully healthy. Well, whatever the case may be, he's hitting pretty well in, in Syracuse for this season. He's hitting 259, 354, 585 with 15 home runs and pretty decent peripherals. Uh, basically a, a three to one strikeout to walk, uh, rate. 
Um, but he's having a pretty good season. Uh, he's mainly a second baseman, but he's been getting a lot of time at third this year. And when he was with Cincinnati, he got a little bit of time in left. And I don't think that anybody necessarily could have predicted that he's, he, he'd be doing as good as, as he is right now. But wouldn't it be nice if he was doing this in the major leagues and the Mets still had Ross Adolph and Luis Santana in system? Oh, that's a good point. J.D. Davis is doing pretty good in the role that he's in. Uh, he's hitting 276, 342, 464. But I don't think that anybody could have necessarily predicted that he'd be doing as well as he is either. And I don't think that it's really that outrageous to think that Dilson could replicate that batting line. People Maybe he forget. wouldn't. Yeah, people forget. Dilson came up when he was 20. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and he hasn't he hasn't been healthy or gotten, in my opinion, uh, like a legit major league spot a uh, shot since 2015. Really, like he got like a hundred at bats with the Mets in 2015. Yeah, he has... was roughly a league average hitter in both 2014 and 2015. Obviously, with you know some issues, the batting average was never particularly good. It was mostly slugging heavy, but. You know, twenty and twenty-one, and then he, and then shoulder injuries are are like death to hitters. So no kidding, he wasn't good for couples couple seasons. Yeah, and especially wasn't he playing through it for like far longer than he should have been playing through it? Yeah, uh, he he got his first. So I got he had two of them, and he had both of them in either August or September. So it's the clearly the end of the year. Right. Basically, the year the the Mets traded him, he was hurt the whole season, if I remember correctly. And the Mets, being the Mets, had him playing, you know, right. as they do. Yeah, 2016. Let's see. Yeah, that tracks. I mean, I I, I remember a lot of. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I mean, he seems like a legit. I don't think it's ludicrous to consider him a legit prospect at this point. Like, yeah, it's 25. Yeah, I mean it's it's not it's not old at all. He's and, a year younger than JD, JD Davis, right? And and there's a clear explanation for the struggles the last couple of years. Like, dude, dude should be getting a little bit more more hype than he's gotten so far, I think. And even if you take his his batting line and say, you know what, he's in AAA, let's take away twenty points. From the batting average mm-hmm. and the on base percentage. I mean, he's hitting 260 now, so he'd be hitting 240 batting average and he'd be getting on base at, let's say, 330. Mm-hmm. 240, 330 is still not bad when you consider that he is 15 home runs, even yeah. if you want to cut he that in half. He legitimately hit 30 homers in the International League this year. I, I'm also Which, curious. Let's see. I, I'm if, wondering if he um, made a swing change or something. How big an effect. That's having uh, the the juice ball is having on the international league. How many guys is he ahead of in dingers? He's currently sixth in the international league in in homers with sixteen. So the league lead is only twenty four. So yeah, he's uh, having I, a pretty a pretty great year. <laughs> I really do wonder if he made some swing change that. Because he always hit for he had some pop, but not this much pop, and it's enough. He always did have a decent amount of pop, though. Uh, that was 
always kind of his thing, wasn't it? I mean, this so, seems like more than I more than I would expect given the previous profile, even with. And the he's ball. he's never he's never had an ISO near three hundred. Right, like he's, he's almost never had an ISO near two hundred. So. I don't know if we'll ever. I mean, Syracuse isn't that far, but it's far enough that I'll never get there. So hopefully we will get some sort of reports on him at some point. I would honestly like to see him in the majors. Uh, unfortunately, he probably ha- doesn't have the arm strength to hack it at short, so not no. really a viable option if they want to. He, he really shouldn't be playing third. No, um, no. You know. I mean, put him in left field, honestly. I, yeah, like no. To- as I'm fond of saying, the the bar for left field defense, especially with the Mets, is extremely low. Yeah, like, are you telling me Dom Smith and J.D. Davis are better defensive outfielders than Dilson Herrera? I'm going to go with no. Right, well, that's why I brought up J.D. Davis, because, you know, third base, left field, that is exactly what Herrera has been doing. Yep. So that's the exact role. And again, I mean, it's it, it is looking at the... It is looking at his the trade and signing Dilson in retrospect and applying everything that we know now. But still, mm. it's not as if we were fans of the the JD Davis trade in the first place. Yeah, All right. I love me some pickles, so I hope we I hope we get to see him in the majors at some point. He's also just like a lovable doof. Yeah, yeah he's he is a definitely a pretty big doof. <laughs> Uh, between him and Ruben, I'd like to see both him and Ruben Tejada get a shot at some point this season. Um, I'm pretty sure that the last time that they were both on the Major League team, the Mets made the World Series. Yeah, so. <laughs> there it is. Uh, uh, proven fact. If this trend continues. If, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Etch has been fine, but he's just kind of boring. I'd be, I'd be really excited to see Dilson and even Tejada just because the story's good. All right, well, um, our pitcher of the week now is someone much more obscure, and that is Michael Otanias. He uh, started one game this week for Kingsport, and he went five innings of shutout ball. He gave up one hit, he walked two, and he struck out eight. So a little bit of Otanias' history here. He was signed on the first day of the 2016 to 2017 international signing period. And he signed for uh, $35,000. The stuff was good, but he was kind of an older prospect. He was 18 when he signed. And literally his birthday was July 3rd. So he turned 19 the next day. Um, he pitched the DSL team that year. He posted a... 464 ERA in 21 and uh, 21.1 innings over five starts, and he allowed 23 hits, walked six, and struck out 21. Whatever numbers, but important is that after the season ended, he had Tommy John surgery and he missed all of 2017. So he returned in 2018. He came stateside and he was assigned to the GCL Mets. And he wasn't particularly good. He uh, made seven starts, and he pitched out of the bullpen four times. And he posted a 764 ERA in 35.1 innings, allowing 41 hits, walking 24, and striking out 33. So the peripherals and the numbers, basically everything trended in the completely wrong direction. 
he is um he does have a pretty good body. Uh he's six foot three, two hundred and fifteen pounds, so that's like ideal for a pitcher. And before his Tommy John surgery, he had a, a decent fastball, sat in the mid nineties, reportedly it topped out as high as ninety seven. So, you know, information is obviously scarce because he was in the Dominican and then had Tommy John and then the GCL, so We'll be getting more reports about him as the season goes on. But depending on how you want to look at it, the glass could be half full or the glass could be half empty. If you want to be optimistic about Otanias' future, he has the physicality and the fastball to be a solid pitcher, and time will tell. If you want to be pessimistic about his future, he's going to be 22 years He's going to be 22 years old soon. He's in Kingsport, and he's still very rough and raw. And he's missed a ton of developmental time. So we're looking for the more optimistic outcome. But I don't know. The Mets don't really have good luck when it comes to anything. You could say that again. Yep. I mean, it's tough to have any, like, insightful comments on pitchers like this. Like, what, what are you going to say? Uh, he's got one inning of work or five. He's got five innings of work this season. And uh, from that, I glean... Ace. Exactly. Yeah, right? So, I mean, cool. More potential high upside guys in the lower minors. Always a good thing. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, uh, those are our players of the week. And we will be right back after this. Ahoy, Mets fans. It's Brian from Amazing Avenue Audio, the show with a quick news bulletin. My co-host, Chris McShane, recently released an album with his band, The Los Hot Quesos. It's called Hot Queso, and it is phenomenal. I had the pleasure of seeing these boys in the Bronx for the record release party on Saturday night, and it was everything you want a rock and roll show to be. The album is so great. Go to hotquesos.com and pick it up digitally or on vinyl. I recommend the vinyl. Enjoy. Hot Queso. Welcome back. I'm Steve Seifer, and I'm joined by Lucas Vlahos and Ken Lavin. And this week, we are going to take a deep look at the Columbia Fireflies. I was absent from the show last week because I was down there. I went to six straight games on their last homestand uh, of the first half against Asheville and Lexington. And I looked at their roster. I literally saw every single player on the roster. They're everyday players, bench guys, starting pitchers, relievers. I like I, mean, I like baseball and it's starting to get a bit much. After I mean, that's one way to make sure you don't get screwed by the rotation jigged around. You just stay there for six days and see everyone. Yeah. And I did almost kind of get screwed. Uh, I should have seen Simeon Woods Richardson twice, mm-hmm. but... They moved his start, but I got to see Bryce Hutchinson start instead, so not a complete complete miss. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I have a lot of notes. I didn't type anything up. So, who you guys, who are you interested in talking about first? Uh, why don't we start with the good and talk about Mauricio before we talk about all the bad? <laughs> well, uh, he was our our hitter of the week last week and seeing him in person it really it really bears out the numbers i mean he is offensively and defensively a gifted player um last year you know I, I, there were few people that actually saw him 
since he was in the JCL for most of the year and then Kingsport for a couple of games. So it was kind of, I was very lukewarm on him, I guess, because it was kind of hard to, you know, put a face with the numbers, put, put, uh, just had to, to have been able to experience him, I guess is a good way of saying it. But he really, I feel like he's going to be something special. Um, the swing is nice from both sides. It's very quick. It's nice and level. He's very lanky and thin, so you could see, and he is hitting with a decent amount of pop. So when you figure he starts filling in more, some of those doubles that are going into the gaps or off the wall for ground rule doubles are going to start turning into home runs. Um, defensively, he was not good, not bad. He was just kind of there. I mean, I guess the one danger is if he does start getting thicker, that he's going to slow down a little bit and won't be able to cover as much range at short. But he has a very good arm. I think he could handle third. Possibly could be thrown in the outfield. I don't know how comfortable I would be. I guess something like that. We need to see how he matures and, you know. I think a lot of that would depend on, uh, a lot of that would depend on how the bat develops too, right? Yeah. Um, Overall, though, I think I have faith in the bat. The swing, it's just a very, very nice swing. Like, it just, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to, you know, describe things over a podcast like this. But I would recommend people to go back a week to when he was uh, play hitter of the week. Look at the gif. Um, it's just such a nice swing. It's just whippy. It's just fast. Just, just bam, you know. Mm-hmm. Very aesthetically pleasing. It's looked to me like he has a lot of, like, risk involvement, which, you know, bodes well for power down the line. Were you pleased with it from both sides of the plate? Was he stronger from one or the other? Uh, or? He he mostly hit from the right side. I think it was only one game where he was hitting from the left side or, or just a handful of at-bats. Um, he has a little bit more power. From the left side, it's a little bit more uppercutty. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas from the right side, it's it's almost like completely level, you know, mm-hmm. slight, slight um, uh, plane on the swing. But it's just a very nice swing. Yeah, I mean, if you if his hands are good and he's got strong wrist, tweaking it to get a little bit more angle shouldn't be too challenging no i don't think so and and it's just he's a very fast swing so you know good bat speed so he can stay behind you know that one fraction half fraction of a second you know and then just go for it Mm -hmm. and and you know depending on what kind of pitch uh he's seeing how was he in terms of uh pitch selection because that's usually the the issue with lots of these young uh, uh he hit I'm try- I don't. I don't have my notes for him in front of me. I have other people's, but uh, I mean, he had a couple of mostly singles, a couple of doubles. I, nothing leaps. Nothing really leaps out at me of any major weaknesses. Um, you know, being exploited by you know breaking balls like certain other players were that we'll get to. Um. But he just looks overall like a, a budding, I'm not going to say a budding superstar or anything, but a budding, you know, really good guy. I mean, I still, I still worry a little bit just because there isn't 
it doesn't look like there's a ton of present either patience or power. And I think you need one to be an actual to be an above average hitter. Um, I know this uh, is something we said. We this is something that we said with Ahmed for years, and that said with a lot of these guys, where we're like, okay, the power may come eventually. Until it does, I'm a little more bearish than most people. I think. Totally real, uh, you know. That's totally fine. I think that I'm not sure what the park, you know, effects are in Colombia, mm-hmm. but really mm-hmm. nobody was hitting. I don't think I saw a single home run. Oh. Actually, no. I saw. I think maybe. I think one. One Uriarte hit a home run for Colombia. Uh. That's the only one I could really recall. But it's not like the ball is flying all over the place, and he wasn't joining in. And he was hitting a bunch, you know, bunch of doubles. So the, there is, at the very least, you know, kind of doubles gap power. All right. And I presence. would expect as he fills in a little more in the the upper half, you know, I'd imagine a little more strength would probably help out a lot in that department. Yeah, and it's you it's know? not like he's, you know, of zero to five home run guy. I mean, I could see him becoming like a 10 to 15 home run hitter, which is fine. Mm-hmm. When you consider, then I think that he's going to hit for a pretty good average. And at least in the short term, he should be able to play a, a pretty mean shortstop. Yeah, it seems like, it seems like, and I don't love using the term floor, but like a, a low end reasonable expectation for him is current version of Ahmed Rosario, basically. You think that's fair? Uh, honestly, I don't remember the last time I even paid attention to any Mets game. <laughs> nah, I understand that. I mean, Ahmed's hitting 256, 297, 418. He has eight home runs and 300 at bats. So, well, I, I, yeah, that seems power wise. That does seem that seems about right for what mm-hmm. Mauricio could do. I think that he'll hit for a better average because his swing is just nicer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you Ahmed think he's is, ever? Are going to develop the uh, ability to walk. I mean that that's something I guess would, would, would comes with time. Yeah. And I, this season he's just hitting he's just hitting the hell out of the ball. And when you're on the streak like that, you know he's an all star. He's I think sixth or something like that in the league in batting average. So I feel like when you're when you're on a streak like that, you're not really ever trying to draw your walks, even though right. if you wanted to, you could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you're hitting, yeah. over, when you're hitting so well, you just want to keep hitting. And it's similar to our complaints about K not getting promoted sooner. Like, why would you ever work on your changeup if you can just spam curveballs? Why would you ever work on your plate discipline if you can hit everything that's being thrown your way? Right, right, right. That's a good yeah. comparison. He's also so young, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, I wouldn't. <laughs> We talk, you know, who, which uh, disappoint? Which uh, uh, less good news do we want to talk about first? Uh, well, I guess you... Mark Vientos. Oh boy, he uh-huh. uh, has not been having a good season, numbers-wise, which is whatever. But the bat just looked so bad; it just looked very slow. It looked like he was swinging a bat made of, you know, like like a. a Vintage Babe Ruth kind of bat, you know, way too big for him. And consistently, 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 he was getting beat by off-speed stuff on the outer half, down and away. Like, Just with clockwork. 
yeah, just flailing, just really bad at bats. And multiple games, multiple pitchers, you know, just kept going back to that one spot and they just kept getting him out. And it's not, you know, it's not like this is double or triple A where he's a complete player where, you know, he is still pretty young for the league. I think he's one of the top couple of youngest guys. But, you know, so so he has that going for him. Um, it's just not good to see, though, the bat speed being so slow. When I saw him last year in Kingsport, he had a good game. And I, I think he had, like, an opposite field double or something to that effect. And I noticed the bat was, you know, as compared to some other guys like, like Newton, I noticed the bat was kind of slow, but I kind of chalked it more off to... He's picking a spot and he's just going for that spot and it worked. Whereas now seeing him being challenged by, you know, more advanced breaking stuff and just not, I, I don't know. It just, it wasn't pretty. And I think that the bat speed is basically the root cause of his struggles. And I don't know if that's something that is going to improve. He might, you know, his eye will get better. Um, I mean, I guess the bat could get faster. He's not unathletic, but he's not particularly athletic either. He's just, he just looks very average. He's not ripped. He's not fat. He's not skinny, not nothing. Yeah, so I was going what you thought of his conditioning. So yeah, I mean, he could, he could get more, you know, he, he could work on his upper body strength, and that would definitely make the back quicker. And compare, and, and uh, in addition to that, you know, some work on pitch recognition would do wonders, and that'd be great. I don't know how likely that is to happen, but I don't know. Send it to Barwis. Don't send it to <laughs> Barwis. I don't know. I mean, it sounds like it sounds like a guy who, in I don't know, five years, is described as being a good breaking ball hitter a la J.D. Davis, because he doesn't have the bat speed to hit fastballs. Yeah, well, I'm trying to think any hits that he had. He was fouling off a lot of pitches, but, I mean, I guess those are the fastballs. Mm. That's uh, pretty disappointing to hear, actually, because it looked like he was... Uh, it looked like he was a potential breakout guy this season, and, and that hasn't come to pass. I know, I mean, I was very high. I was comparing him to Nolan Gorman last year, and that has not exactly uh, panned out at all. Mm. So, yeah, that's a little depressing. He's, what, 19? Yeah. Well, there's there's time for him to to improve on that still. There's still physical development that can happen. Do you think it was – in terms of like the swing mechanics, do you think he has like a suboptimal swing or something that's contributing to that or – No, the swing is fine. It's a little long, mm-hmm. but it's not like insanely long, like racking up the strikeouts. Right. Swinging you – know, he wasn't really swinging over pitches that would have been hittable. It just, he was that, that one zone down and away, just pounding that area and exploiting the hell out of it. Darn. Yeah. I mean, that, that's about the most nuanced comment I have on that. <laughs> yeah, that's a massive bummer. What are you going to do? 
yeah, I mean, again, he's still young. There's still time. And let's just cross our fingers and hope for the best. Uh, did you see Newton at all? I did, yes. Nothing, uh, I don't think, really changed about him uh, as compared to when I saw him last year. Um, he has a long swing, and he's very skinny and a, a, a big, long swing. So that's where a lot of those strikeouts are coming from. Mm-hmm. And the the power is legit. I mean, there's a he had um, one at bat. I remember where he just basically muscled. It was basically a bloop, and he muscled it, but he muscled it into not really shallow, what I would consider shallow, into legit like the outfield on a bloop. And I was like, you know, wow. So and he's, he's got- another. He's another guy like uh, him, um, like Mauricio, where he's very lean and leggy. So a lot of the power that Newton already has, I think, will there there'll be there's more to come as he fills in. But um, I think it would be ideal if you know some of that additional power from just physical strength and development mitigates uh, changes. To to his swing that might gut town on his power. If that makes sense. Like, if no, they tinker tinker around with his swing a little bit to be less exploitable, less long, and then hope that his physical development, his actual strength, um, kind of fills in what was lost for making his swing a little bit more controlled. And from the way you describe it, the dude's a specimen. Like, uh, him and Mauricio are pretty impressive physical specimen, so maybe he doesn't need to sell out for power. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it... Sp- I don't know. I mean, that's a, obviously it's a very subjective and weird thing. Uh-huh. Like, they're just very lean, long, uh, athletic, quick. You know, a guy like Mike Trout is thick. Like, he's athletic, but like uh-huh. rock hard uh-huh. and thick. His neck know. gets bigger every season. Right. Like... So he that's a specimen. Uh, Mauricio Newton, um, Hansel Moreno is another guy that is in that kind of mold. They're mm-hmm. very long, lean, and leggy. Maybe they fill in. Um, <laughs> probably not like Trout, but <laughs> <laughs> Trout is t- like eighty percent neck at this point. <laughs> It reminds me of like how a tree grows with rings. His neck, like <laughs> every year. <laughs> Everyone needs to be on Mike Trout's neck workout plan. That's how you become the best uh, player in baseball. Whatever works. I mean, it, it seems like. I mean, do, you th- do you think who has a faster bat? Let's put it that way: Vientos or Newton? Oh, Newton, very, very easily. Hmm. I mean, that seems more, more, uh, uh, like there's more reasons for optimism then, right? Because you can, you can tweak that swing and he has the natural skill to, to make a more conservative swing work as opposed would, to Mantos who maybe doesn't. I would think so. Um, I, I think that a lot of, I don't really think Newton did very well in the games that I saw him. Mm-hmm. Um, when he when he hits the ball though, it's like a very you know it's like one of those kinds of things like you know this guy hit the ball and it just sounded different. Like when he hits the ball, it's a legit like crack. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Vientos does not, never had that kind of crack to him. But a lot of the, the power, that crack that Newton is able to generate, it is from his swing. It's just like the amount of violence and torque in it. It's almost kind of like a Vlad Guerrero kind of swing. Like, not as good, obviously. Not, you know, Guerrero is a 300 like, hitter. Like controlled but, chaos type of thing. Right. Like, Newton's not that much controlled, <laughs> but it's a lot <laughs> of chaos. So that's a good way of putting it, I guess. Yeah. I feel that's also not not exactly. Vlad might have had a lot of success. Not exactly the swing you want your prospects to be modeling their game off of. Uh, he he did not do any of that uh, shenanigans, but uh, let's think. Who else on that roster do we just have? We talked SWR yet? We have not. Uh, so you want to move on to the pitching side, I guess? Sure. All right. Let's see, I had him. Oh, here it is. Well, um, because I'm stupid, when I went, I brought a camera that did not have a charge <laughs> in it. So, ah. yeah. But overall, he looked, he looked good. Um, the fastball was mainly... Let's see here. 89 to 93. Uh, let's see. 1, 2. 294s. So, high... Well, let's just really... Let's, let's call those couple of 89s little blips. I'll just say he was low to mid-90s. Um, he didn't really show much oomph on his fastball, I guess. It's not like he was rearing back and was able to hit, you know, 97, 98, which he supposedly was able to do when he was drafted. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to cast a lot of doubt on those couple of reports. Well, isn't it basically he's more or less stretched out into being like a like starter for more or less the first time? Uh, well, no, he was a starter. The, the, he was a starter in high school, and he generally was sitting in this range. And right. then Woods Richardson. He started to to pop in shorter stints in the GCL and Kingsport, well, right? That's so that that's the claims. The thing when he was drafted last year, he you know the, all the reports basically said that he was kind of low to mid nineties guy. He himself claimed that he was not. He himself claimed that he was more mid to high 90s guy. There were no actual verifiable reports of that. All of this, you know, all of the sources, perfect game, max preps, things like that, all had him in that low to mid 90s range. So there was a bit of confusion about his velocity from the get-go. If you go back and read the, the draft report that I had on him, I included a couple of different links to different, you know, events and and people that saw him saying different things. And then Woods Richardson refuting the lower numbers. Then in the GCL, again, we have no verifiable reports. Yeah, and And anything you do have is coming from the team. Right, so I think that there was a lot of confusion in what he actually threw. And obviously the team is looking to hype their guys. So I don't think that he ever actually threw 95-plus, let's say. I mean, he, he can I mean, throw 
It's possible that he did it in like a bullpen or something. Right, that's the same. But that, that's not that... like, uh, yeah, that's not like a game action, you know. You wouldn't right. expect him to carry that over and not lose anything, you know? Right. Now, the good thing about the fastball is, even though it doesn't really, it has a little bit of arm side life. Um, but it's not like it had like late pop or anything like that. But guys are singing through it, and a lot of that, and I checked with Jeff, and a lot of that is because it's a very high spin rate fastball, kind of like Ty Bashler, how, you know, he was getting tons of strikeouts, even though his fastball wasn't, you know, triple digits or anything like that. Uh, it's harder to, uh, harder to pick up on, on the movement when it's a high spin rate pitch. So that's good. And the curveball is very, very, very good. Um, let's see. One, two, three, four, five. So the game that I went to, I'm not sure how many strikeouts he had in total, but five of them were on the curveball. And it just has, you know, 12-6, it looked to me, and it's just a big, big, big break. And I hope that he doesn't get into habits of spamming that and just getting the, the strikeouts. Um, he really didn't. He was mostly fastball. He threw a handful of what I thought were change-ups. It's kind of hard to pick up on on that sometimes, but um, all in all, he's throwing mainly fastballs, mixing in some curveballs, and then the occasional change. He doesn't... I, 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 he wouldn't... I don't know. A lot of the helium that I think he had coming into the year... Because of, you know, reports saying he was hitting 97, 98, whatever in GCL and Kingsport is gone to me, mm-hmm. having seen him. So, I don't know. He's someone to obviously watch, but I, I don't know if I would put him in, like, a top 10 list or anything now. I didn't at the time. I think I actually ranked him 20. But with this information that we have now on him... I definitely would stand by ranking him, you know, around there. Doesn't sound super dissimilar from the initial impressions we had of him, does it? Right, like where it was. I I I vaguely recall us saying like the velocity probably isn't this high. It's probably yeah. just playing up in short stints. It's probably reliever, but it sounds like the stuff might legitimately be a great reliever. Yeah, no, I think if if he was, let's say, transitioned to being a bullpen arm down the road, he could definitely be like a high leverage, uh, you know, lockdown reliever. He is, he works very quick. He's, you know, he he likes throwing inside to guys. He doesn't let the batters get comfortable. Like he comes right after them. That's a kind of guy that has, you know, you hear about like the mentality of a closer or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know how accurate that kind of stuff is you know but he definitely has that kind of mentality it's i don't know this doesn't seem all that different than what i expected from him honestly i mean it would have been nice if he hit the high like i'm pretty sure that it was mediocre starter good reliever it would have been nice with the chance to be a good starter if the velocity improves or he has another secondary would be nice if he had done those things but it seems like he hasn't so yeah, and also keep in mind he's like 18. Yeah, I mean he's a unlike the prep guys the Mets drafted this year he's super young. Yeah, 
So like, like I remember saying, you know, our, our, when we went over the prospect list, like he could miss a whole year to TJ and still be mm-hmm. playing with everybody that he was drafted with yeah. when he comes back. Unlike mm-hmm. Beatty, Wolf, and Allen. Yeah. Like this was a relatively aggressive assignment to, to send him to the Sally. I think he he's probably the youngest player in the league. Um, not that that's like super important for pitchers, but as a know. pitcher, I think he is. But in terms of actual everyday players, Mauricio is either the youngest or second youngest. Yeah, there's probably yeah. I know, I know they're the same age. Um, Mauricio. To BB Ref, he's the youngest qualified hitter in the league. So, yeah. and I'm not sure if he's younger than um. I should probably look that up while I'm on BB Ref. But not to make it too pessimistic on Woods Richardson. Like I'm not trying to say like, oh, he's just all illusion. Like there is a very good pitcher in there. Yeah. I just don't see like yeah. You know, I don't see like front of the rotation upside or anything mm-hmm. like that right now. Yeah, no, you know, we've all been saying pretty much all year we think he's, like, a very good reliever, you know? Yeah, I think that with the reports of, you know, being able to hit upper 90s, that would have been very transform- transformational, and a guy like that, if he did consistently hit upper 90s with a really good fastball and the developing curve could be front of the line potential, but that just really is not him. Yeah. Right now. This is far less concerning than the Vientos report. Like we could put it for for like immediate context. Like this is Yeah. Not yeah, yeah. great, but it's not super, super bad. Like you said, it's basically reinforcing what we already thought and knew. So that is him. Um did you see Zapucky at all, I, or? Yes, I did. Because I imagine this is going to be unfortunate. Um, not too unfortunate. If I could find my notes on him that I literally just had in front of me, and then I moved around when I was getting the Woods Richardson information. Here we go. Zapucky. He only went a couple of innings in my in the start that I saw him. Mm-hmm. He was 89 to 92. Uh, he hit 93 once. No, he hit 93 twice and 94 once. Um, the curveball was not as good as I remember it in Brooklyn, but you know he's coming back, so it's to be expected. He was kind of guiding it a bit. And the changeup, he didn't throw many of them, but he was you know, slowing down his arm and telegraphing the uh, changeup. The fastball, though, it had uh, that kind of late hop, though. Um, the velocity, you know, is, isn't as, you know, I don't know if it's going to return, but as he is now, I think he could survive on being, you know, a, a low 90s left-hander. Mm-hmm. It's a little I guess, disappointing. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it, it's you wouldn't expect a guy to return to form, you know, immediately after Tommy John. He's still working his way back and stuff. Uh, I guess we'll see how he looks in July, August, you know, further down the stretch. If I'm not mistaken, this was his first start in like almost a month. Yeah, it's only thrown 14 innings this season. 
Yeah. So, I mean, obviously they're treating him with, you know, they're, they're treating him very cautiously. Um, well, I don't know. I wouldn't say that it's a bad report. I wouldn't say it's, I, I would say it's, it's skews on positive. Mm-hmm. It, it's not like the, you know, it's not like he was sitting in like the, the firmly in the 80s. It was only a couple of pitches that he was in the 80s. Okay. Uh, you know, it's not like Marcos Molina last year. I, mean, I saw him in, in Binghamton and he was yeah. like 85 to, you know, 85 to 89. He touched 90 or 91 like once or twice. At least Zapucky is hitting consistently in the 90s. Right. The arm slot is still kind of funky. Um, so there's the, there's that aspect of deception. I'm assuming that uh, he's another guy that has spin rate on his fastball, so that, that explains the kind of late hop that it had to it. And, you know, the, the curveball will come along, the changeup. You know, he he's still a pretty raw pitcher to begin with before he had the Tommy John. So those things are still, you know, developing. Those are things that hopefully will continue to come along. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for developing him as uh... – I mean, we've said this for a couple months now, put him in that multi-inning relief kind of development path. Maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe they're just being super cautious. Not exactly sure. Um, but if the curveball comes back and the fastball has enough deception and spin rate to work, that's a viable reliever. Yeah, I mean, it's it, he had a... Obviously, he was really highly ranked because of his stuff is that really that good. Mm-hmm. Um couple of years ago if you know even if he comes to to a uh, 75% of what he was that's still a, a solid base to work with you know and how how many grades would you say the the curveball is like, with the obvious caveat that it's 14 innings he needs more time to recover but how many grades lowered would you think the curveball is right now than it was pre-TJ uh I mean, I only saw him once in Brooklyn before Tommy John, and it was a couple of years ago, so it's kind of hazy. Yeah, of course. Um, I wouldn't really say the curveball, like the break of the curveball was still pretty good. Um, he was able to mostly command it. It's just that he was basically guiding it in, so mm-hmm. which is, you know, tipping off the, the pitchers. So I'm assuming that once he gets more innings, he'll be able to throw, you know, throw it with less telegraphing. Mm-hmm. And it, it was still like a strength thing to me too, where he has to guide it instead of just kind of letting it rip and trusting his hand will get in the right place. Right. And he's just, I don't know. It, it's, How to put it? I don't. I just ex, uh, expecting too much, I guess, from a guy coming back from surgery. Right. I mean, I guess we should just be happy he isn't Molina, right? He's not cooked. Right. That's yeah. There you go. I mean, yeah, it doesn't seem likely that he'll be out of the organization within six months. Or no, he playing. he wasn't. He wasn't like as exciting as he was when he played Kingsport in Brooklyn that year. But it's not like he is a former shell. It's not like he's a shell of his former self. Mm-hmm. And you know, if he was just a, a name, Thomas Zapucky, with no other connotations that come with that, you know, we'd be like, all right, this is a, uh, you know, it's looking okay. Right. 
Okay, I mean, that's not as bad as I was afraid that was going to be, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I'd venture to say that that's um, pretty positive, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, the things that he needs that he needs to work on are things that either can be worked on or will come in time mm-hmm. from just more repetition or whatever. And if the fastball velocity never comes back and he's basically in those low 90s and, and isn't able to touch, like, 95, 96, whatever, it's not it's not the end of the world it takes a lot of his you know value away but it doesn't take all of it away mm-hmm. yeah i think we just need to totally ignore any age-based expectations with him going forward and and hope the stuff works out right i mean even before tommy john even before this year he had very few innings under his belt mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know the tommy john is a basic you know another lost year so that didn't help either but All right, that was uh, not not awful, not awful. No, not awful. Is there anyone we're missing on this roster? Trying to think. Yeah, anybody you thought was very interesting, Steve? Uh, well, let's see here. Wagner Lagrange, not really. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Chase Chambers, he's a big, thick guy, but. You'd think he'd have a lot of power, but he doesn't, which is a little unfortunate. Okay. Hutchinson? Uh, Chase Chambers. No. Oh, no, no, I'm asking now. Hutchinson? Did you? You saw Hutchinson, oh, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, let me find. Here we go. Bryce Hutchinson. I saw him coming out of relief, and then I saw him uh, starting. So the numbers, uh, the numbers when I saw him. Uh, coming out of our leaf, we're a little weird. Let me find that note. I told you guys I was very organi- unorganized today. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I have his numbers as a starter, and he was basically sitting 90 to 93, which is not bad. His slider was 80 to 85, curveball in the high 70s to about 80, and then a few change-ups in the mid-80s. And the biggest difference between that and when he was coming out of relief, I think he was coming out of relief for Woods Richardson for an inning or two, is he was throwing mainly uh, like two-seam fastballs during that relief outing, and he was basically sitting like 87 to 89, which was uncharacteristic, you know, for a guy like him who's supposed to throw harder. Mm-hmm. Um, why he was doing that, I don't really know. <laughs> And the two-seam fastball wasn't particularly good either. Um, here it is. Here's those numbers. Yeah, it was uh, 87 to 89, topping out at 90 with the two-seamer. Just seems un- underwhelming. Yeah, um, he's a guy that he's been through a lot in terms of surgeries and just problems on the field. Not bad, not, not, uh, not behavioral problems, but just like issues. Uh, I know he's had to deal with like, he was overweight a bit. He had to lose some weight. He was, had like a very bad, like viral infection or something like that. And he lost a lot of weight because of that. And he, he's, um, uh, uh, he's still a follow, I guess I would say, but I don't think that the upside is really, there 
you know, that much upside anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, not that he had tremendous, tremendous upside to begin with, you know, outside of, you know, draft day kind of projecting all of our dreams and hopes into, into these guys. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he can definitely be a serviceable pitcher, I think. A lot of his stuff was kind of hittable. So that may have been why they had him throwing a lot of two seamers that one night is just kind of to give him, uh, something else that has some more movement. You know, just uh, another, you know, way to play with hitters and their eye levels and everything. But I don't know. It, that, I guess, would be a sad report. Mm-hmm. <laughs> another sad report would be, uh, Chris Vile. Who? Oh man! Just retired. Yeah. And looking at, I saw him twice in relief, and looking at the numbers for that, it kind of makes sense because, I mean, I saw him last year when he came up to. He was he was with Columbia last year as well, but I saw him when he came up to Lakewood, and the fastball was like in the mid 90s, touching 96, 97, and when I saw him this week, both times he was low 90s, so. He had the the triceps problem, and that clearly either was the the main contributor or it took its toll on his arm, uh, whatever the case may be. But the fastball velocity was was not there, and he was a guy that was always you know plus fastball and kind of making up everything else. And without that plus fastball, it kind of fell apart. Womp womp. Yeah. This uh, roster has so much looked so interesting going into the season and it's just I mean, the record aside because who cares it's the minor leagues it, it's disappointing. Yeah. Um the one you know silver lining there I guess is that a lot of these guys they were they were put on this roster as a challenge. So if they're not really up to the challenge yet, you know, they still have time. It's not the end of the world. It's not like they're, you know, 22-year-olds and they're flailing away at, at breaking pitches in low A. There's mm-hmm. still time. Right. Um, well, glad one of us actually gets down to games and uh, gets some in-person, <laughs> in-person information. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, I've never been to Columbia before. Uh, it was extremely hot and humid. I, I that bet. I did not like. Like, literally... There was a Chipotle like five blocks away from where I was staying. Mm-hmm. Just walking back from Chipotle when I got lunch one day, I was just like, I need to go take a shower. Like, uh, yeah, just, just like, like walking like, through soup. Yeah, it's like when you feel the sweat like dripping down like the back of your back, and you're just uh, like, oh, uh, yeah, not, not great, that kind of that kind of heat. Yeah, you open a, your door in the morning, it's like jumping in a pool. It's it's ugh. Yeah, I mean, the, there were two, I think it was Monday, the first day I was, I got there like in the middle of the night, like 2 a.m. on Monday morning. So that Monday was very rainy, not a good time. The next day, it was very humid. The next day, it was rainy again. And then the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday was nice. It was extremely hot, but it was less humid. So I would prefer, I guess, like 90 degrees with sun, but not as much humidity. Right. Uh, let's see what else. Segra Park was okay. Um, 
I don't know, nothing really jumped out at me. I guess kind of being spoiled with um, MCU Park right nearby, right on the water, the Stan Yankees Stadium right nearby, right on the water, um, the Trenton Thunder Stadium, again, nearby, right on the water. Obviously, Yankee Stadium and Shea State, um, City Field, two major league stadiums nearby, we kind of get spoiled a bit. So for, you know, uh, uh, I don't want to call Columbia Nowheresville because it is the capital of South Carolina, but for a place that I guess is out of the way in terms of baseball, you know, it was, it was a nice stadium, but mm-hmm. nothing, I guess, really jumped out at me about it. Do you have um, one of those dope ass glow in the dark hats? Uh, I, yeah, I've, I had, I've already had the, uh, Firefly one that had I bought I think the year that they became the Fireflies, and then earlier in the year I bought one of the Chicharrones hats. Sweet. Um, what else about South Carolina or the Fireflies? I don't know. It was just fun being able to take a week off from work to go somewhere new and literally just do nothing but watch baseball is always that does sound great. That's like yeah. living the life, you know. <laughs> It would have been better, I guess, if I had brought my laptop charger, because then <laughs> I would have had my laptop. But, you know, oh well. So, yeah, that's the Columbia Fireflies top to bottom, I guess. Yeah, cool. Yeah, all right, well. um, I guess we'll move on to, oh yeah, that guy. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of our guys played for the Columbia Fireflies. Or maybe the Savannah said, and that's the team that preceded them. Right. Who do you guys got? Lucas, you can go. Okay, so my – I had not heard of this guy before uh, today. I went with Taylor Whitenton, Whittenton. Not even sure how to pronounce that. Um, he was a a draft pick in the 2009 draft, 39th round. So way late in the draft, uh, Mets took him out of college. He's a lean 6'3", had the low 90s fastballs, uh, low 90s fastball with a slider that didn't do a whole lot and a changeup that also didn't do a whole lot. Um, for his career, he never, never made it particularly far. He bounced around in the low minors for a couple of seasons until 2012 and then, uh, dipped out at that point. So probably just a guy that just an older guy they drafted to have the spot filled up. Um, but this year, uh, during like the last two weeks in 2011, uh, so 616 to 626, he had two starts where he ran a 1.5 ERA. Didn't strike out a whole lot of guys, but kept a kept the ball on the infield on the ground. So put together a couple a two start stretch that was actually pretty impressive. Well, that is a guy that I can't even say. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I went really, uh, really deep this time. Yeah, that is a deep track. Well, um, I actually, before we go on to you, Ken, let's go to a break because I forgot to go to a break. So, everybody, hold on one second. We'll be back after this. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Steve Saipa. I'm joined by Lucas Lajos and Ken Lavin. And Ken is about to give us his Oh Yeah, That Guy because we are in the middle of Oh Yeah, That Guy, where we take a look back 
and remember some of the Mets minor leaguers of the past that we might have forgotten about. Or, as in the case that Lucas just presented, never even knew about to begin with. <laughs> oh, yeah, that – I don't know that guy. Yes. <laughs> well, I do remember uh, my – oh, yeah, that guy. Uh, Danny Mono, an infielder um, who during this week in the 2014 season playing for the Las Vegas 51s, Hit 313, 542, 563 in 26 PAs. Uh, so Danny Mono was selected in the eighth round by the Mets out of Fresno State in the 2011 MLB draft and, uh, made his pro debut in Brooklyn and generally destroyed the, uh, New York Penn League. I think he led the league in average and on base percentage. He hit 355, 466, 514 as like, one of the elder statesmen of the league. Um, and uh, from there, a trend quickly emerged in which uh, Mono played okay defense and had excellent strike zone management that manifested in very, in like gaudy walk rates. Um, but the question soon became, you know, is he going to hit enough and is he going to hit enough, pa- <clears throat> hit enough for power? to, you know, be an actual offensive contributor. And um, that question kind of followed him for the majority of his career. So he spent 2012 with St. Lucie and played pretty well uh, before being suspended for 50 games for a a PED test, (laughs) a uh, failed PED test. So, you know, yeah, not great. Um, And then he came back in 2013 and the average, the, the ability to hit for average you know, the first major question mark started to come up. He hit 249, 384, 379. Um, so beginning, you know, his hit tool began to show signs of its limitations. He came back in AAA and in the PCL um, still didn't really hit particularly well, hitting 259, 372, 418. Um, you know, again, in the dry <laughs> um, hitter's heaven of – Las Vegas. Um, he did a little better the following season in 2015, um, hitting 277, 362, 369, and more notably received a call up in mid-April to the the big league team. His only, you know, cup of coffee in the big leagues, you know, in his career, uh, and was generally pretty overmatched against big league pitching. He only got 32 plate appearances and hit 148, 258, 185. Uh, that's a 34 WRC plus and, you know, quickly found his way back to the minors and, uh, hasn't really been heard from since. He spent, he was released by the Mets in June of 2016 and spent the rest of the season with the Marlins and the White Sox in their minor league systems. And then spent all of 2017 and most of 2018 in the Mariners system. And this year, he hasn't announced his retirement, but the Mariners AAA affiliate, the Tacoma Rangers, hired him to be a corporate sales manager. So he's pretty much out of like playing baseball and just kind of living a normal life in the Tacoma area, working for his old team. So I would like to see him announce as a pitch hitter. It'd be very kinda, yeah, that uh, that could feasibly happen. <laughs> just kind of come out of the uh, 
It's like Luxury suite. Guy, uh, loosen yeah, up the tie. They, <laughs> they have somebody like pull a hamstring and warm ups, and they're like, you know, Danny's here. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a guy that I remember as kind of being a victim, I guess, of the the Mets' glut of just middle infielders, good and bad. You know, <laughs> when I think of him, and there's obviously Cheech, there's you know, all different ages, but there's Cheech, there's Matt Reynolds, there's Mano, there was Guillaume, a lot of, uh, I'm probably forgetting people too, Josh Satin, I think he played a little bit, second base, just a lot of guys, and not a lot of positions open for them. I like to think of him also as sort of like um, why walk rate in the minor leagues uh, is tricky, you know? Like um, a guy can walk a ton, and if he doesn't have a big league hit tool or doesn't have enough, project for enough power, you know, it really isn't going to bode well for him, you know? Yep, I know that's a problem that a lot of people had with, well, not really a problem, but that's a, a remark that came up a lot with Brendan Nemo that he was too passive. Yeah. And, you know, guys can be too passive in the minor leagues, and it doesn't really help you out. It'll help out your, your stats, your minor league stats, but you're not really necessarily help. It's not really necessarily helping your yeah. development. Like you have to be able to protect <clears throat> protect the zone enough, you know? To let the uh, the walk rate really play, and in Danny Mono's case, he really couldn't. So, well, the guy that I went with this week is Ricky Knapp, and when he was pitching for the Savannah Sandnats on June twentieth, twenty fifteen, he went seven point two innings of shutout baseball. He gave up uh, five hits, he walked one, and he struck out eight. Uh, versus the Augusta Green Jackets. And Knapp was released last year, but I've always kind of had a, a soft spot for him. Greg even had, a, Greg had even more of a soft spot in his heart than I did. Um, overall, he's pretty generic as a pitcher. He was just basically right-hander, had a fringe kind of, fringe average fastball, 88 to 92 or so. And then he had a kitchen sink assortment of pitches. There's a curveball, a slider, a changeup, a cutter. And all of that sat in that area of not being particularly good, but not being bad to the point of ineffective either. And I thought that since his dad was a former pitching coach, that he'd be one of those kinds of guys that would have his, have his inferior stuff play up because he'd have like a mystical kind of insider knowledge of baseball and he'd be able to get by, but that didn't exactly happen. He was solid through double A and then the PCL ate him up. Um, story of many guys with fringy stuff, unfortunately. He's still only 27 though. Um, nobody's picked him up since being released. And if a team needed, you know, some triple, double uh, A depth, maybe he'd be a little attractive if he was healthy. I think that someone should just teach him a knuckleball, and we go from there. More pitchers should learn knuckleballs. It, yeah, I mean, given that for a lot of it has a, a reputation as being like you know a pitcher's last hope when they're out of all other options, you'd think more guys would try it. But do you I guys remember? Do you guys remember um, uh, 
Brandon Webb from the Diamondbacks like 10 years ago. Oh, yes. So he was like an ace and then suddenly disappeared because his shoulder was porked. He threw like seven pitches, including a knuckleball. He would pop knuckleballs, if I remember correctly, occasionally. I don't understand why more pitchers don't just whip it out occasionally. Just like, hit this if you can. <laughs> and I guess so it has something to do with being able to control it, which most guys are not able to do. Sure, I mean, you might not have great control of it, but you throw it in as a wrinkle sometimes, and maybe if you just get it over, like... It's also very hard to throw from, like, a normal arm slot. That's uh, that's a fair point, actually. It's like if you looked at, you know, R.A. Dickey, he had, like, a lower arm slot. Mm. And it's almost like he would push the ball to the plate. Yeah, he kind of just shot it, I guess. Like, um, so... If you can, though, why not? (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, do you guys have any... Last words for the week. Uh, you also saw Brooklyn last week, right? Yes, I did see Brooklyn last week. Any any thoughts uh, from there? Last week, last night, what am I saying? Oh, nice. <laughs> um, no, nothing particularly jumped out at me. How'd all the seniors look? Scenery? Eh, it, just, they, it was just a very generic team. Yeah. And Mangum I mean, isn't even there yet, so like, there's nothing to... Yeah, Matt Cleveland was mildly interesting. He was a prep guy that was picked in 2016, and he was known as a guy with a pretty good fastball and a lot of rawness, and a couple of years later, that's still pretty much the case. And uh, that was about the highlight of the game, I guess. There were fireworks, so that was nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm waiting to get out there until Mangum shows up. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking I don't, about I don't going, know why, but <laughs> I was thinking about going today because they had the Mench on the bench giveaway, but nah. <laughs> then I wouldn't be able to be here with you guys and all of our listeners recording this great podcast that everyone should uh rate and review and subscribe to. <laughs> nice smooth. Uh-huh. So I am Steve Saipa. You can follow me at, at Steve Saipa on Twitter. Lucas is at Elvlahos343, and Ken is at Ken1191. And if you do not want to reach out there, you could email us at fromcomplex2queens at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, concerns, whatever, send us an email. So we will be back next week. And until then, love the Mets, love the Mets.